Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily Daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Your life is you, but you need to know how. Listen to my show, the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. Right here on KCAA, now broadcasting on 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM. The stations that leave no listener behind. KCAA Loma Linda. Listen on 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM. Bob Vila here with my home improvement tip of the day. Motion sensor lights are a must for any home security system, but sometimes they get out of whack, turning on and off inappropriately. That's especially common after power outages. Fortunately, resetting motion sensors isn't a big deal. Once you've got your ladder safely positioned, use your hands to gently adjust the bulbs of the unit to where you want the light to shine. Same with the motion detector. Aim it towards the area where you want to detect motion. Next, move the operation switch to the test position, then climb off the ladder and do a brief jig in front of the sensor. If the lights don't illuminate, increase the sensitivity setting of the unit. That's often just a matter of turning a small dial. If the lights come on more often than they should, try decreasing the sensitivity setting. When you have the unit behaving as it should, move the operation switch from test back to the normal setting. Get more info at BobVila.com and right here at home with me, Bob Vila. Thinking about buying a home or maybe just refinancing, let the mortgage voice Jeff Barton guide you. And I think if people get the expectation going into the process, there's less likely to be freaking out at the end about what's happening. The Mortgage Voice, Saturday at 3 p.m. and Sundays at noon here on KCAA 1050 AM and 106.5 FM. KCAA, where every day is a great day. KCAA, Loma Linda. KCAA Radio now joins the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas, with Brother Mike Calhoun.
have a special message I want to share with you this morning. And it comes out of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to read a few verses to you here. If you have a New American Standard, you see it there in the title. It says, Being Imitators of God. Look what it says in verse 1 there. Therefore, be imitators as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God, a fragrant aroma. But immorality and impurity or greed must not even be named among you as a proper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness and silliness of talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater who has an inheritance, that has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly of darkness, but now you are of the light. In the Lord walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light it consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But in all things, when all things become visible, they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. And for this reason, it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Father God in heaven, what a wonderful passage of scripture. What a wonderful thought and word from you to us today, dear Lord. I thank you for this passage. I thank you for uh, what it's done to me, taking me apart and putting me back together, convicting me, reminding me shaping me, molding me, dear Lord. And I thank you, dear Lord, that we have places in Scripture that we can go to just like this in the Bible, dear Lord, that will speak to our hearts. In Jesus' precious name, and all of God's people said, amen. Now, some of you may have heard this illustration, but did you know a few months back that they, they had discovered some planets that are like 40 light years from Earth? It was part of the message, I promise. Um, but they, they discovered these planets are about 40 light years away. And so what that means is that they're going to have to do a couple of things to try to get to these planets. They're going to have to, um, they're either going to have to put people asleep on spaceships to get there. Because there's people already thinking about how can they get there. So they're going to have to put people to sleep or so they wake up there. Or they're going to have to develop a colony on the planet, on the, the ship. And then when they get there, they'll have a colony, ready-made colony. And um, do you know, I think there are already people who are, thinking where they're going to put a McDonald's or where they're going to put a Walmart, you know, on that planet so they can start selling stuff. But I think um, that they ought to put a, uh, they ought to send church planters and that whenever they get there, they ought to start a church because somebody's going to need to tell them what to do when they wake up. Amen. And tell them what God's about and tell them and tell them and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. So there's the key phrase, wake up. Okay. That's the phrase that we're going to use, I'm going to attend here at the end of Scripture here, at the end of our lesson this morning. Paul is talking to the Ephesians about being imitators of God, but he, you have to remember that he, as he's coming out of chapter 4, he's already been talking about their lives. Then he's been telling them about the Christian life and Christian living. And he's told them to, that they had darkened minds, but they no longer have darkened minds. Uh, in verse 22 of chapter 4, he's told them to lay aside the old life. In 23, he's talking about renewing your mind. In verse 25, he says, speak truth to, an to one another now, because now you have these changed minds and these changed lives. And I think that Scripture, all the way through it, has these sites in it, these places where God tells us what to do. And I'm, I'm a simple kind of person. When you, I like to be told, just tell me what to do. You can ask Brenda. I just tell her, just tell me what you want me to do, okay? Say that to her all the time. And, you know, the Lord wants to do that for us. And this is one of those places in Scripture. He is going to give them some life encouragements. And I like to think about this as being a life site. Look what he says in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God, beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice as a fragrant, as, a, as um, God, as a fragrant aroma, excuse me. So again, this is what I would say would be a life sign. And he's trying to encourage them about us being imitators of God. So there's our first encouragement this morning is how, how can we be pleasing to the, God, to the Lord? But one of the things that we can do is be imitators of God. We ought to want to imitate the Lord. And in Paul's theology, he talks about being imitators of me. You'll hear Paul say 
be an imitator of me. He says, follow me and follow my example. Now, he's not saying that in a boastful way. He's talking about in the, in the term of a Christian life, or we might even call it in the 21st century, about in discipling. And so just really quickly, three things he says there is one of the things you need to do is you need to look like, be imitators, look like one of God's children. Have you all ever here in the Pruitt community had somebody and, and you would meet a child or whatever and you say, well, I can, I can tell that's, that, that child belongs to one of the Smith family. Boy, because they, they do certain things or they are very honest or maybe hardworking. I'm talking about it in a positive context. And you would say, oh, my goodness, that was, that's an Espen shade right there. You can tell that's an Espen shade girl. Did you see? And you will make that comment. Do you have friends like that? Well, we ought to look like God's children. This is one of the things Paul's saying is that we ought to, as Christians, look like God's children, look like we belong to him. A second thing he says there in that verse, being imitators of God, uh, in verse 2, walk in love just as Christ also loved you. So not only should we imitate and look like God's children, but we also ought to love like God's children. Now, this is an incredible conviction for us as a New Testament church. But I would tell you, I would submit to you this morning that one of the great challenges we're having in the 21st century is people don't feel loved. Now, I know I'm talking about feelings here, and theology transcends that. But listen, there is a real element of truth in what I'm talking to you about here. Besides just looking like God's children, we ought to love like God's children. We'll never go so far, be so successful, or be so impactful in our community and in our world as a church unless we learn to love like God's children. Brother Mike, that's a great concept. I like that, but you know, it's a little bit scary. How should we love like God's children? Well, here's the standard. Look what it says in verse 2. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you. You notice it doesn't say kind of like Christ loved you. Trying to attain as Christ loved It says to love as Christ loved you and gave himself up as an offering. Now listen, what's the degree I'm supposed to go to, Brother Mike, in this Christian love thing that you're describing. Well, it's described there for you in, in, in Scripture. Christ went all the way. There wasn't anything he wasn't willing to do up to and including giving his very own life. He gave himself for us. He loved, he, he, God loved his son. He loved his son, but he loved us also. And he commanded his son to go and to a cross and die for the likes of us. We are a loved people. And one of the biggest successes we're going to have in our community is when we begin and continue to love like one of God's children. And a certain thing happens as a result of that. A certain thing happens uh, as a result of that. We become a sweet-smelling aroma or fragrance. Look what it says. Uh, An offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. As a fragrant aroma. We're going to live like, we're going to love like, and then we're going to ask this important question here. What do we smell? What do we smell like? What's our fragrance? And I'll get to the front of this line right here and say, you know, I don't always smell. I don't always bring forth a pleasing aroma into the nostrils of a holy God. But it's only when I, it's only when I allow myself to be surrendered to him and his purposes and I walk in God's ways, in the ways of Christ, does that life begin to emulate. And I can't even take credit for that. When I am being good, that's not me. That's God. And then when I do do something wrong, guess who that is? That's me. And that's you also as well, as Christians, as believers. Learn to, learn to live like, learn to love like, and learn to allow your life to be, allow your life to be the kind of present uh, fragrance in the nostril of a holy God. This, is, this has to do with the imitation of us, uh, of the imitation of following Christ. And Paul just unabashedly says, be ye followers of me. This theme is throughout Scripture. You find this in 1 Corinthians 4 and 15 when Paul spoke to the Corinthians. He said, Wherefore, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. 1 Corinthians 10 and 33, when he said, Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved, be ye followers of me. Of leadership, this is in 1 Thessalonians 1 and 6, And you become followers of us and the Lord, having received the word in much affliction and of the Holy Ghost. 1 Thessalonians 2 and 13, Paul continuing that theme, 2 and 14, 1 Thessalonians 2 and 14, for you, brethren, became followers of the churches of God in Judea, which are in Christ. So that theme of becoming imitators of God, the apostle saying in a disciple, being in a discipling way, being followers of me, and then even followers of the churches, that theme is all the way through the New Testament. 
And the problem we have today is we are, we are living in a generation of people, they don't want to follow anybody. Isn't that true, Ron? People don't want to follow anyone today. And uh, let me just grind this little pet peeve of mine. You've heard me talk about this just for a second. But, you know, I know that this was something. I, I think it wasn't us, but it was the Lord convicting Brenda and I early in our Christian life that um, we had to find people who knew how to live the Christian life. And we just went up to them and we asked them. I've told you this story before. And we said, would you please disciple us? We need to know how to be Christians. And I give as an example for that, you know, how, how some, most of you, some of you were raised in, in homes where you blessed, your, you blessed your food at every meal. Now, what do you do if you weren't raised in that home? I mean, what were Brenda and I to do? We weren't raised in homes where they blessed their food. We found a couple, a godly couple lived right across the street. What do you do? You go and you ask them, and we listen to how they bless their food. When someone loses a loved one, and I've seen some of you do this, in the hallways of the school, you run into that friend, and you know they need to be prayed for. How do you know what to pray for that person? Unless you yourself have been prayed for and or have heard somebody pray for someone who's going through crisis. Listen, we have to become followers. To be good Christians, we have to be followers. And I, be I beseech you this morning, uh, this life site in Scripture is imploring you. Paul is imploring you. you who are you following? Are you being discipled? If you're not, you're playing a game of chance. And something's going, to be, if something's going to be affected by this, and this is going to be your life witness. Look what it says in verse 3. Now he addresses a problem that they were having at Ephesus. He says, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you, among the saints. And there must be no filthiness or silliness of talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no, with, with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God and kingdom of Christ and God. What will be affected is your life witness. This life side is talking about your life witness. And there's three aspects to it. That's your personal, your social, and your eternal ramification. He uses the word immoral, impure, and covetous. Por uh, immoral is pornos. You know that's where we get our word pornography. Uh, it, it, debauchery, fornication is what that's talking about. An impure person, akathartos, which means foul or unclean, demonic in nature. And covetous man is, is simply a Greek word that's talking about people who are all about gain and materialism. He says, first of all, let there be no hint in your personal character. So that first one is that personal manifestations. I forgot y'all had outlines this morning. In your personal manifestations. This goes back to the earlier point, but we have to be intentional, and we have to be intentional about how we live our lives, and this is one of the number one ways. It was for the Greek, Greco-Roman world, and it's one of the number one ways in America today. This is not even an issue in America today. Everybody's not talking about that. Only in places of worship or where they study the scriptures, they even know there's a problem. The way what we see on television, the jokes we tell, the articles we read, what has become acceptable across the board has begun to affect the personal manifestation, the personal character of us as Christians. Now listen, I don't want to be a fuddy-duddy here. I don't want you to think I'm, because I like to have a good time. I like to, I like to laugh. You can ask Chris and Ron. I mean, I love to tease and I be teased and we have, a, we have a good time. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is the kind of lifestyle people, we ought not say some of the things we say in front of one another. Ladies, you ought not let somebody say some of the things that they say in front of you. A person of character, a personal manifestation of, of Christ in your life means you won't allow that and you don't entertain that. Another reason you don't do that is because you become vulnerable. You get a group of friends where they tease one another about sexual innuendos and make jokes and different things. You're becoming vulnerable to one another. Things can happen in that situation. You're lowering your guard. But if you're a person who considers yourself a person of worth, you're worth something. You know you have been bought, and, uh, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. You don't just let anybody say anything they want to say in front of you. And ladies, if somebody does say something in front of you, you come get me. I'll tell them you ought not be talking like that in front of a young lady. And ladies, you, ladies don't let men or boys talk in front of you like that. Somebody say amen, please. There's a personal characteristic, there's a manifestation, but there's also in your social interactions, verse 4, there must be no filthiness or silliness of talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather for thanks. And there must be a proper eternal appreciation. 
And we really need to talk about this just a little bit in verse 5. For you know with certainty that no immoral or impure or covetous man who is an adulterer has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. This is not saying that if we do these things that we become lost. That's not what it's saying. It is saying, I think Paul is trying to draw a distinction in this life site. He's trying to draw of a lifestyle that's reflective of someone who is saved. He's saying, look, people who live like this, this type of immoral, immoral character, with just flagrantly living however they want to live, says, that can't be a saved person. You need to check your salvation. And, and I, I agree. I think we have given a false sense of security to many people throughout the years by saying, if you pray and you pray this little old prayer, well, then you're taken care of from now. Now you can go do whatever you want to. Nothing could be farther from the truth. When you become a Christian, you, you are now convicted about things. And I think about the things in my earlier life that I said and I did and I thought. And, you know, when those same things try to march through my mind now, there's incredible conviction. God's there now convicting me, saying, don't do that. Don't say that. Don't think that. Do I do those things sometimes? Yes, sometimes. But not as a matter of a lifestyle. He's trying to draw a distinction. And what he's doing is he's giving a life warning here. He's giving a life warning. Look what he says in, in verse 3, in, rather in verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now, this life site has this important life warning, and he's drawing out that there is a deception. The Greco-Roman culture, they used to participate in that type of immorality wholeheartedly. It was actually part of the worship service. They were able to, of the Greek worship services. There were temple prostitutes. It was part of your duty. It was part of your requirement to go to those temple prostitutes and to partake uh, so that the land would be blessed and so that the fields and, the, and your family would be blessed. And so that was what Paul is confronting. And I submit to you this morning that the world, the culture today, is doing the very same thing. It's doing the very same thing. It's being inviting of this type of lifestyle. It's in being inviting of this type of nature. You know, if you can't imagine what your six or seven-year-old child doing it or saying it, don't you do it or say it. Somebody say amen. That's the kind of innocent life that we ought to be trying to live for the glory of God. Don't be deceived. And he said they will receive a special condemnation. He says because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And so lest we forget, lest we forget, remember that we as Christians are trying to provide a light, a way for a lost and dying world. And where are they going? They're, going, they're headed into God's wrath. You, our wrath as Christians, if you've been saved, you're here this morning and you've been saved, that wrath has already been poured out on Calvary's tree. He's taken it. And whenever, whenever, we do sin, whenever we do sin or we backslide or we have trouble in our, in our personal lives now, listen, the back of Christ himself has taken that. His blood has been shed on Calvary. But when men and women show up at eternity, eternity's door, and they've not received Christ, the wrath of God will be poured out upon them then. Don't be deceived. There's special condemnation for those who participate in that. We are now different as born-again Christians, as believers of Christ. We have been transformed. And then for the most important point, I think, in Scripture this morning, look what it says in verse 9. For the fruit of light consists of all goodness and righteousness and faith. And here's the key verse, I think, in verse 10. And this is what this morning's message really to me is about. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And it talks about do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's even disgraceful to mention these things by which they are kept in secret. He's talking about the nature of light. As a life quest, you were darkness, but now, brothers and sisters, you have become light. Okay? A city on a hill cannot be hid. You are salt. There's salt in your life. You work. You just think about it with me for a minute. You're a man who works in a factory, and you work with 40 other men, and all those other 40 men are lost. And when you go to work that morning, you're the, at that moment, you're the only hope they have. Not that you can save them personally, but the, the gods you know, the gospel you know, the kingdom that you carry around inside of you can affect those 40 men's lives and their eternity. You were in darkness, but now you are in light. What are the, what are the characteristics of light? The characteristics of, of light are this. They consist of goodness and righteousness and truth. And Paul is using some generalities here. They're, all, they're, they're specific, but they're generalities. We know what the Christian life is. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of what God does in our lives. 
And so our, one of our, we, we are the, that's the essence of what it means to be a Christian. But your great exploration, your great adventure comes here. Your great adventure comes when you try to learn what pleases the Lord. Brother Mike, tell me what I'm supposed to do. Find out what pleases God and please him. Because, see, it comes to each and every one of us as individuals. As individuals. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We need to find out what it is God wants us to do for him and his kingdom. And the reason for this is because he, he may call Kendra and her family to Africa to serve as missionaries. May call the widest families to to China, but that's for them to figure out on a day-to-day basis. They, they have to figure those things out as individuals. Lord, what do you want me to do? That's the great exploration. Lord, what do you want me to do? And when you live that life, it, does, it has an interesting effect on sin around us. Look what it says in verse 11. Do not, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. And see, that's, that's why it's hard to be a Christian right here. It's why it's challenging. Because you, as a Christian, when you are being the man or woman of God that you're supposed to be, it has a convicting effect. And people around you, it's hard for them to take. And if there's no, there's no middle ground, they will either love you or they'll hate you. You'll draw some to you and you'll repel others. And remember, many, many times, listen, guys, when you don't get invited to the parties, and I'm talking, let me get personal, I'm talking about right here in Van, Texas. When you don't get invited invite to the social functions and the parties and all the rest of it, that's a good thing. That's a good thing, that they think enough of you and know that you won't participate in that mess. That'll destroy you and your marriage and your wedding and your kids and maybe get some kid killed on the highway down here somewhere because they can't see to drive home. And I tell you that truth this morning knowing that I was one of those fools driving up and down the road in the early part of my life. But by God's grace and his mercy, I never hit and killed anyone. So I feel like I can talk a little bit about it. You were dead, but now you're alive. You were in darkness, but now you're light. You were without a king, but now you have a king. You weren't loved, but now you are loved because of your relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it brings me to one of the most exciting parts of this passage right here in verse 14. For this reason, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I almost um, did it with the young man that was saved, or rather baptized this morning. But the way this is constructed in the Greek, it's, it's in a triplet. And it's very probable that this was part of a baptismal chant. And 2,000 years ago, what you would have seen whenever they took a, a candidate down to the, to the creek to baptize him or down to the river to baptize him, they would have, he'd already been saved, but they'd have put him in the water. And as they would have started the chant, they would have put him in the water. And as he came up, they would be saying, Awake, O sleeper. Awake, O sleeper. Awake, O sleeper. You all say it with me this morning. Awake, O sleeper. Awake, O sleeper. And that's what they would have heard as they come up out of the water. And I submit to you this morning that God is still doing that through the power of his Holy Spirit. He's telling us as a group of Christians, awake, O sleeper. This is a lost and dying world we're living in. And they need you. They don't need me. They don't need us on an individual basis, but they need the message that we're carrying. And we better wake up. Because I tell you, although it's been a long time since it was promised, the Lord God Almighty is coming back. And this world is going to burn. Lord Jesus Christ is coming back, and he's coming back to gather his own, and not everybody's going. And one of these days, very, very soon, there's going to be a lot of people out here scratching their head, wandering around, looking for family members, because that old sleeper had awoken. At some point in their life, they'd become a Christian. And the master returned, and he gathered us up, and he took us home, and we'll be there with him, and, and we'll be gone. Awake, O sleeper. What area of your life right now? This, this, is a, this could be a salvation message, and you can be saved at the preaching of this message but listen this is a message to you the church or to you who are visiting this morning is there some area of your life where you need to wake up and how you're raising your children and how you're conducting your marriage and how you're living your life the lord god almighty says to you through his word awake oh sleeper and arise you were this but now you're this and i'm so glad that he whispered in my ear that day so many years ago i said michael wake up You're not part of this old fallen world anymore. You're one of mine. You're one of my children. And I love you and I forgive you. And you shall never, ever die.
and no one shall ever snatch you out of my hand. <laughs> Praise God Almighty. He said that to me, and I prayed the prayer. Where do you need to wake up this morning? Do you need to recommit your life or your family's life to the gospel? Do you need to be saved this morning? Do you have some challenging habit or addiction that you know that you need to give up? The master says, awake, O sleeper. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray that you would be with us this morning in the, in the invitation. Father, we preached. And now, Lord, we're just going to leave it in your hands and the power of the Holy Spirit to convict hearts. And Lord, I just feel like, I just feel like there are those this morning that need to rise up and need to awaken. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And all God's people said. You are listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas with Pastor David McNary. Today, if you have a Bible with you, let me invite you to turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And we're going to talk about fatherhood today. The title, Some Distinctions of a Good Father. Now, I had, I had a hard time with, with the title, whether it was going to be a good father or a godly father. Well, you need to be a godly father, certainly. Every, every man who has children needs to be a godly father because we need to be able to share God with our children. I want to start this with a little story, a story that I read. One evening in a section of Chicago, a drunken father gave his young son a dollar and sent him to buy something at the store. But somehow as the boy traveled along, as he, as he went along to the store, he lost the money. He was very frightened because he knew what would happen to him if he came home empty-handed. His drunken father certainly would be very angry, and he was also abusive. A kind man saw the boy standing shivering in a doorway, and he said, What's wrong? And the boy explained his predicament to the man, who in turn gave him the dollar he needed. The boy thanked the stranger and headed off towards the store. But suddenly he turned around, looking at the man, and he said, I wished you was my father. That's a sad day. You see, you just had a glimpse of the difference that it makes for a person who has given his heart to God rather than being in bondage to alcohol or any other thing. It just happened to be alcohol in this story. Our scripture for today is found in Luke chapter 15. The whole story begins in the 11th verse through the end of the chapter, verse 32. But let me just see if I can summarize the first part of it for you. There was a man who had two sons. He had two, he had two boys. And, and the younger of the two boys decided that it was time for him to start making his own decisions and to live on his own. So he told his father, he said, give me my part of the inheritance. Let me, let me have what, what's coming to me. And so he took the money, he took what he had received, and he left, he moved away, moved out of home, you know, and he moved away, moved into a foreign, into a foreign place, a place that was foreign to him, and there he began to have fun, what he thought was fun. And the Bible tells us that he spent it all on harlots, on, on lustful living, on alcohol, on drink, whatever it was. And finally, a it, it became a difficult time. The economy was down, to say the least. And so he had, no, he had no money. He had no means of making money. So he went and he found him a farmer in the area. And he asked him for a job. And so the farmer said, okay, good job for a young Jewish boy is to feed pigs. And it says that he wasn't surviving very well. So he almost got to the point where he was eating what the pigs were eating. And suddenly he came to himself, verse 17 it says. How many hired servants of my father have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And here's where the good part of the story starts. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, and had compassion, and ran, and fell on his neck, and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, 
and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. They began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field and as he came, he drew, uh, drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called to the one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And the other son was angry and would not go in. So his father came out and entreated him, or invited him, or encouraged him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandments, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, and has killed for him the fatted calf, and he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet, it was meet, it's a good thing that we should make merry or celebrate and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Now I want you to notice some things about this good father. This good father, this godly father. I know that some of you are thinking, well, that's a good evangelistic message, but I want us to look at the father today and see what it has to say. First of all, the scripture tells us that here was a man of compassion. Here was a man of compassion. It says when he saw him that he had compassion and he ran and fell on his neck and he kissed him. He had compassion for, for this young son. His love would not allow him the convenience of giving up hope. He, he hadn't given up hope. He was depending on the fact that one day his son would come home and that same love was unwilling to wait. He was unwilling to wait for his son to come and beg for forgiveness. At this point in the story, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. That was in the past. There was something going to happen, and he knew that it was going to be a good thing when he saw his son coming. So he didn't wait for him. He was motivated by his love to run to his son and to receive him even while he was away from the house. Now, the others looked upon the son scornfully, you know. I'm, I'm sure that the other servants were saying, now, wait a minute, wait, what is going on? Just like the brother. The brother was angry. He was angry. He was upset. Father, what are you doing? It's like you're saying it's okay for him to do that, and it's not okay. That wasn't what the father was saying at all. What he was saying is, look, I lost my son. He was gone. I really think that this man thought his son was dead, but he still wouldn't give up hope because he didn't have the evidence. And so he wouldn't give up hope. And so when he saw him coming, he ran out of his love for his young son to receive him back. The second thing I want you to notice that it teaches us is about his faith. About his faith. Notice that this father had faith to believe that because he had done the best that he could to teach his son right from wrong, that the son would eventually come to his senses. And by the way, that's, that's the sense of what the Scripture tells us. All of a sudden, the light bulb came on and it dawned on him that there was a place where he could go, a place where, where he could be cared for, a place where he could do better than what he was doing now. And he saw, he came to his senses and this father believed because he had taught him the difference between right and wrong as a child that he would eventually realize his fault and come back. The Scripture says, train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it. You know what? That's a promise of God. We have to do our part, parents, fathers and mothers. We have to do our part. We have to teach them the truth. That's why it is so critical to teach your children the Word of God. It's critical for you to have your children in the Lord's house to hear the Word of God. Now you say, well, preacher, if I'm going to teach them at home the Word of God, then why is it necessary to go to church? Because what you say needs verification. I always love it whenever I invite some preacher to come in and to preach. Maybe I'm going to be out or maybe it's just somebody coming through and I'm invite them to come preach and they stand up here and they preach the same thing that I preach. 
Because then I can stand up and turn around and look at y'all and say, I told you so. <laughs> Listen, that's what's important. If you teach them the Word of God, then when you bring them to Sunday school, when you bring them into the worship service and they hear the same thing, oh, it's not just what mom and daddy say. Because you know, if you say it, they're going to say, mm, I don't like it. Come on. Amen. Yeah, they're going to say, I don't like it because they don't want to do what you tell them to do. Let me tell you a story. Pastoring in one of the previous churches, not here, by the way, had a young woman come to me. She said, I need to talk to you, preacher. Okay. She came to the office and, and sat down and she said, I want to go to such and so party, whatever. I don't remember what it was. Maybe, maybe it was uh, something at school. I don't know. But anyway, it's a place she didn't need to be. And she said, I want to go and my mama won't let me. Help me convince her that it's okay for me to go. She said, what do you think? And I said, I think you need to honor your mother. You never go wrong honoring your mother. That's what the Bible says. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the earth. What does that mean? To give yourself long life. That's what that means. To give yourself long life. Now how long? That's up to God. But here was a man who had faith and he had trained his child. He believed in what he had taught his child and he believed that eventually it would all come back to him and that it would be right the next time around. Now folks, I believe that I believe that it was his faith that caused him to look. Now, I think it's interesting. It's always interesting to me to read this story because here was a man that was, uh, he was busy. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't just sitting around doing nothing. He was a busy man, but he always kept his eye on the lane to the house, hoping to see that son coming down that lane. And he believed, he believed with all of his heart that he would. And his faith caused him to wait with anticipation. He Listen, folks, I want to tell you something. When he Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. He saw that boy. He could not contain himself. He went and he ran to his son. Number three. Number three. I want you to notice the third thing that he has. And that's forgiveness. Now, as, as important as the son's confession was to, to his own personal character development, and I think that it was necessary that he say what he said for his own personal development, for his own personal character development. And I think it was important that he do that to help heal their relationship. But I want to tell you something. Forgiveness had already begun in that father's heart long before this time. To be honest, that father had already been dreaming of the day that his son would come home and he had already been thinking in his mind what he was going to say and what he was going to do. Tell me that's not true. That's true. You know it is. Every one of us have wondered what our children were doing at a particular time. And by the way, one of mine is sitting right over there. We wondered what they were doing at a particular time, concerned and compassionate and loving and, and already thinking about, you know, they really need a good hard chewing out, but I just can't do it right now. Forgiveness. Forgiveness began in his heart very early. And I want you to notice that the point is not that he came back home to live, but that he came to the one against whom he had sinned and he confessed and he found forgiveness. Now, who is it that you sin against every day? I want to tell you something. That father likewise is waiting with open arms for you to come. For you to come. For you to repent. That's what it means. That's what this boy did. He went one way and it was the wrong way and he turned around and he came back and went the right way. Went back to God is what he did. And forgiveness was found. Number four, restoration. Restoration. Now I want you to notice the depth of this father's love and the depth of his faith and the depth of his forgiveness because when his son got there, immediately he was restored. He was restored. Now I want to tell you something about our God. 
He restores you immediately when you come to Him in faith, come to Him in repentance, come to Him believing in His Son, Jesus Christ. The Scripture tells us that, that the Father hugged Him, He kissed Him, He gave Him new clothes, He gave Him new shoes, He gave Him new jewelry, and He gave Him a party to celebrate. He restored Him. Now listen, He restored Him not to the position of slave or servant, He restored Him to the position of sonship. He was His son all along, and He was His son again, and He wasn't going to demean him and put him back and put him away and make him live out in the servants' quarters. He moved him back into the house. That's restoration. Now the fifth thing I want you to see about this man was wisdom. There are at least two places where this father demonstrated great wisdom. Despite the fact that the son was a young man who turned out to be rather irresponsible, the father had come to the place in his teaching and his instruction that he had come to that conclusion, and, and parents, this is a hard conclusion to come to, come to that conclusion that it was time for this young man to be able to make his own decisions, to live on his own, and pay the consequences of his bad decisions all at the same time. He had been wise enough. What do we call it? You kick them out of the nest, you know. I've, I've watched mother birds do that, by the way, and it's really interesting because the baby don't want to go, and so she just goes, <laughs> you know, get them on the edge and then kick them off the edge. But he had come to the conclusion, he, had, he was wise enough to see that it was time for this young man to become accountable for his own actions. The time had come when the father who had wisely taught his son had to allow him to experience life. In other words, he was saying, okay, look, I've invested all of this time in you, and I've done my very best to teach you the ways of God and the things that you need to be doing, the way to live life, to have good character, and to be the right kind of person, to be respected by other people, and I've done all of that now here. You go out there and prove it. You go out there and prove it. Well, he was young, and as a lot of young people do, he made some mistakes, but he came to his senses. Listen, fathers, I want to tell you something. You must always, always be on your best behavior because your children are watching you and your children are listening to you. By the way, they'll repeat whatever they hear. And your children are learning from you. You say, well, I'm not a teacher. Yeah, you are. You're a teacher. You're, we're all teachers. And, every, and, and, and others are looking at us so that they can learn. A second thing, he acted with wisdom in doing what he knew to be right rather than bowing to the pressure of others. You see, he was a wise man. There would, there would be those who would come to give him counsel. Look, you're making a mistake. You need to let this young man learn from his from his mistakes. You need to let this young man be put away somewhere else for a period of time. He doesn't need to be restored like that. But here was a man who was not even willing to listen to the pressure of society or even, even his older son. That son was angry. But he taught them both a valuable lesson by his actions. Proverbs 15 verse 1, the Scripture says, A soft answer turneth away wrath. But grievous words stir up anger. The scripture that we read to the children a while ago about a father not provoking their children to anger. The King James uses the word wrath. Don't provoke your children to anger. In other words, be careful to know. Be careful to listen to God and know where the balance is so that you know how far to go in your, in your disciplinary actions. Because the children always carefully observe the actions of their parents, by the way, and other adults, for the purpose of learning the right way to live well, or are the wrong way to live. Folks, I think what we see here is a man with God likeness. He was a good man, he was a good father, 
He was a godly father. He showed compassion. He showed, he demonstrated faith. He granted forgiveness. He provided restoration. And listen, that's not something that's easy to come by. A person generally has to earn when trust is broken. A person has to earn that trust back. And finally, he acted with wisdom. Several years ago, a minister felt impressed to close his sermon saying these words, If there is someone here that is sick of sin and wants us to pray for you, raise your hand. And immediately a young man jumped to his feet and he said, Pray for me, sir. I am sick and tired of sin. The minister later learned that the young man had been homeless for eight years. So he encouraged him to write home and to tell his parents what he had done, that he had accepted Christ. And after several days of anxious waiting, a letter came in the mail for him from his mother, but it was bordered with black. And with tear-dimmed eyes, the young man read, My dear son, the joy which your letter brought to our hearts was only exceeded by the sadness which was there at the same time. For as nearly as we can figure, the same hour that you found Jesus Christ as your Savior, your Father was going out into the skies. All day long, he tossed upon his bed. Every little while, he would cry out in misery, Oh God, save my poor wandering boy today. The mother said we would try to divert his attention from your waywardness and sin, but his mind would roam from place to place and he would cry out in sorrow, Oh God, save my poor wandering wayward boy today. Just as he passed away, he cried, Oh God, save. And the mother said, and he finished the prayer in the presence of Jesus. The postscript said, You are a Christian tonight because your father would not let God go. <laughs> Wouldn't let go of God. Hung on. Prayed. Cried and waited for an answer. I think it was probably interesting. I, I, I like to conclude that story. I think it was probably interesting because just as Father arrived in heaven, there was rejoicing in the presence of the angels. <laughs> Amen. Who's it for? It's for your boy. It's for your boy. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for every father that's in this place today. And dear God, I pray that you will help us to have the courage. God, help us to have the courage to make our stand and make it in Jesus today. I pray if there's a single father here today who's not ever come to Christ, that today would be the day. Remind us once again, Father, that our children are learning from us and they need to know how to come to God and let us be the ones to lead them. Oh, Father, speak to our hearts today. Be with those who need to make other commitments. Lord, you know what they are. And Father, give them courage. Give them the faith to believe and the courage to follow Jesus wherever He go, wherever He would lead. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas. A podcast of the service is available on demand at the KCAA website at www.kcaaradio.com. The Pruitt Baptist Church is located at 9908 State Highway 110 in Van, Texas. The Sunday worship schedule includes Bible study at 9.45 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and evening worship at 6 p.m. For more information about the Pruitt Baptist Church, visit their website at www.pruittbaptistchurch.com or call 903-963-7473. KCAA Loma Linda, where you can always listen by phone. Just call 701-801-4444. This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. It's a constant struggle for most people, trying to stay on top of everything in your work and personal life without falling behind. 
we'll have the story. Pay attention to what shows, what media, what people give you energy, and what shows, what media, what people take away your energy. Who do you allow yourself to gossip with? Then, there's a big insurance gap in America. Over a third of parents with children have no life insurance at all. We'll hear from an expert with tips on how to protect your family's future. When parents think about protecting their children, they may think about crib monitors, maybe the right car seat, safe schools. But we found that many of them are not thinking about very basic financial protection. Those two stories and more are straight ahead on this week's InfoTrack. The show begins right after this. Allergy congestion. Cut grass. Cat on the sofa dust in the carpet. Whenever allergy congestion makes you feel trapped, break through with Allegra D for 5-in-1 24-hour multi-symptom relief. Allegra D combines a non-drowsy antihistamine with a powerful decongestant for fast relief that starts working in just one hour. Break through allergy congestion with Allegra D. Use only as directed. Guaranteed or your money back. Visit Allegra.com. Hello, I'd like to deposit this to checking. Fate is a fickle master. What? The future is uncertain. Okay, and what's my account balance? Ah, the horizon is cloudy. I see a long, treacherous voyage Um, filled with great peril. Look, can I just get a deposit slip or something? A fortune bank teller. Surprising. What's not surprising? How much you could save by switching to GEICO. I see a yellow-eyed serpent what? and a low APR. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Only one event unites the world. The 2018 Winter Olympics. And there it is! Sean White double gold. Boy, does he deliver. See the world's best. Lindsey Vaughn is a gold medalist. And see the world at its best. To the finish, the Kalen Schifrin wins gold for the U.S. The 2018 Winter Olympics, coming February 8th, only on NBC. Music, it's good for your health, whether you're streaming through headphones or waking up at the crack of dawn to dance the morning away. It sheds stress and connects you to friends. That's why Aflac is proud to be an official partner of the Grammys. When unexpected medical bills occur, Aflac helps with everyday expenses like rent, groceries, even music experiences, so you never have to miss a beat. Learn how Aflac can help protect you and your family at Aflac.com and tune in to the 60th Grammy Awards live on January 28th. Aflac here in Means, American Family Life Assurance Company of Columbus and American Family Life Assurance Company of New York. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. If you're finding yourself thinking about work after hours or worrying about personal issues while you're at work, maybe you need to find a little balance in your life. And our next guest knows how to arrange your life's balancing act. She's Deidre Maloney, author of Bogus Balance, Your Journey to Real Work-Life Bliss. So where does this title, Bogus Balance, come from? What does that refer to? Well, the reason I call it Bogus Balance is because our notion of work-life balance as a society is actually not attainable. And I think one of the first things we can do to find real balance and to find real happiness is to stop trying to have it all. So that's what we do is we think if we just get the right organizational system or set some great boundaries that we can have it all and we can do everything perfectly at our work, in our career, with our kids, in our home life. We can make soups from scratch and then make the book club or the golf game and do everything perfectly. And that's just not the case. We have a finite amount of time in the day and a finite amount of energy. So instead of trying to have it all, we need to find our all. And once we accept that, that's the first big step to actual balance. So finding, I guess, the most important thing for you, is that what you mean? It is what I mean. It actually came to me, I do a personal strategic plan every year. And I look at over the last year, because I own my own 